Oh, some of you for a loop this morning, don't turn to the book of Acts. We've been working our way through the book of Acts for 20-some weeks now, and um, God just really laid on my heart this week to not preach from Acts. So, if you will oblige me this morning, I'm going to preach a message to myself. Over the past few weeks, God has been working on my heart. Every time I sit down to study or read His Word, and every time I sit down to open the book to the Bible to the book of Acts, God begins to pierce my heart about something else. And the last couple of weeks, it's just been hard to put together a message knowing that, okay, I, I'll just be honest with you. A lot of churches, the big mega churches, the wild churches, the up-and-coming, the fast-growing ones, whatever, Package it in eight-week series. I can't do that. Uh, I'm not one of those guys that can say eight things and seven weeks of this and four weeks of this. I just got, I'm not creative enough for that, as you know. I work my way through books, and uh, I believe in doing so, God covers all the topics. Amen? Uh, I'm not preaching to the whims and the whams of whatever people are going through, except for letting the Word of God pierce hearts. But there's obviously something that God's been doing in my heart as I've been going through the book of Acts. It's like I'm trying to study this and do the next thing, and God's like, no, I don't want you to preach on that. I want you to preach on this. No, I'm going to preach on Acts because that's where I'm comfortable. But he's been challenging me on something else. So that's why I say this morning is a message to myself. And maybe as you're sitting here, it'll apply to you as well. What is a goal? What is a goal? So, well, Pastor, that's a, a duh question. Everybody knows what a goal is. Well, it's an obvious question, but for some of our younger folks, there are goals to finish high school, to go on to college, to finish college, to land a good job, to eventually have a life's mate, to find a, uh, you know, a career that you can really invest in. Maybe for some of you, it's to lose the weight that you've been trying to lose for years and to get in better shape. Maybe for some of us who are a little bit older now, we look back on the years that God has given us and we notice that some of the goals that we had when we were younger, well, they're just not that important anymore. And God has impressed upon our hearts that these things shouldn't take priority, but rather these things should. And maybe still for some of you, you look back on 50 or 60 years and you wonder how you made it through to this point. There's no doubt that you know that God was there with you all along the journey, yet still the things that you once lived for don't interest you much anymore. And your goals and outlook on life have changed. But I wonder still, do we have the right goals in front of us wherever we are? in life today? Are we concentrating our lives on the goals that really matter and the things that God really wants to have impressed upon our hearts as we move forward for Him? I know that's what God's been doing in my life over these past several weeks. As I said, every time I sit down to study the book of Acts, something else comes into my mind. The same passage over and over again. Well, the other day, someone approached me and said, don't take offense at what I'm about to say. But, the next time you have an annual meeting, could you not preach the first 40 minutes of the meeting? <laughs> you know who you are, and I'm not upset. So, as you said there, I'm not upset. I thought it was a little bit humorous. But those 40 minutes were the result of my desire to see God do something. 
I'm tired of status quo. I'm tired of good being good enough. I'm tired of just being satisfied with where we're at in life. As an individual, as a pastor, as a father, as a teacher, as a church. We should never get to the place where we're just satisfied. You know, as I said before on a Sunday night, you know, pastors ask pastors questions. Like, how's, how's your church doing? And of course, every pastor really wants to hear, man, we're doing great. I mean, we're running between three and four hundred. Between three and four hundred. Happened to be around 85, but we're between three and four hundred. We're in the middle, and we realize that we're not, as, we're not doing as good as we think we are. I mean, I look back and I say, God, thank you that we don't have any fighting going on in our church. God, thank you that nobody's ticked off at another family in our church and they just can't stand to see the sight of them. God, thank you that our bills are being paid. And we're satisfied because things are okay. I hope we never get to that point. Amen? Somebody's got to let a light a fire in our life that gets us motivated to do something for the glory of God. I'm sitting there in my office last night crying, and I don't even know why I'm crying, because I'm just tired of it. I want to see God do something in our midst. I want to see the hand of God so obvious that it's obvious that everyone who sees it, that God is doing it. It's not something that we fabricated. It's not something that we made happen because we did A, B, and C, and the result is X, Y, Z. I want to see God do something. And I believe that He can. If we'll trust and pray and get on our face before God and say, God, you have to do this or else it's not going to get done. And can I say, I'm not blaming anyone. You hear me say often, two hands and a foot. If I could get the fourth, one, fourth thing in, there, in the air, I could do it, but I'd fall over on my butt. I'm guilty as well. And that's why I say it's a message to myself that I want to see God do something in our midst. I know my own flesh and how distracted and apathetic I can be. I'm just being honest. I feel like the Apostle Paul when he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners at times. I know what I have intentions of doing, but I also know what doesn't get done. I know what I want to see God do, but I haven't really put the time in in praying and asking God to do it, because I just expect that things are going to keep going as they always do. But I don't ever want to be satisfied with who I am, with my walk with God, with my relationship with my family, my friends. And I don't want to ever take God's grace and mercy for granted just because He is faithful. And He is. Right? God has been long-suffering towards us. He has been patient towards us. He has been kind to us despite our apathy as a nation. Ask my family. They can tell you all my flaws very easily and quickly. And I hate that. Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to just put on a show. Because I want to be who I am all seven days of the week before God. So I'm absolutely convinced that we need to see the hand of God at work fresh and anew in our lives. Maybe you're convinced of that as well. So... As we've been making our way through the book of Acts, we've learned so much about the life of Saul, who received Jesus and whose life was miraculously changed. When God saved him, everything changed, right? Everything changed. Who he was, what he lived for, what his focal point of life was, everything changed because of God's working in his life. 
And that should be the result of anybody who had God miraculously changing their lives from the inside out. There ought to be a difference in how we live. Is that true? There ought to be a difference. And that's why Paul could stand up and say verses like Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives what? In me, through me. When people looked at Paul, Paul said, I don't want you to see me. I want you to see a picture of Christ. And that means we have to be emptied of self, emptied of what makes us tick as human beings. And the verse that God keeps bringing to my mind and that I keep praying over and over in my mind is Philippians 3. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 as we look at that this morning. I started off the sermon with a question. What is a goal? So it's an obvious question, but what are the goals that occupy your mind that, that, that really are focal point in your life that you, that, that you live for? In, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Let me read it again. My goal, Paul says, is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 11 says, Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Then he says, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Paul said that his goal was threefold. Number one, to know God. Number two, to know the power of His resurrection. And number three, to know the fellowship of His sufferings. I'm not sure those goals are goals that can ever be fully achieved in this life, but they are certainly goals that we should all strive for. Amen? Those are things that ought to occupy our minds as children of God. I want to break down a couple of these verses here just so we can understand them a little bit better. But the first one says, to know. And that word know is the Greek word gnosko, and it's an ongoing learning process. In other words, it's not something that we have fully matured into, that we know everything that there is to know about God. But it doesn't stop there in this verse, in this word. It's to gain knowledge. In fact, it's a Jewish idiom for uh, intimate relationship between a man and a woman. It's the idea that there is so much closeness here that I want to know everything that there is absolutely ability to know in this relationship. There's not much more, much more closeness you can get than a man and a woman after they're married. That's close. And this is the word picture that is described here in this word, no. And Paul doesn't leave any room for doubt of what he wants to know. He says, I want to know Him so well, to be so close to Him, that I can learn everything that there is to learn about Him. I wonder, do we have that kind of a goal in our walk with Jesus Christ every day? Do we have that kind of a goal? Where Paul says, my goal, first words out of his mouth here in verse 10, my goal is to know Him. 
This is not a mechanical relationship. It's not mechanical. It's not checking off on my daily reading plan that I got my three chapters in, or my chapter a day, or I did this, or I did that. I went to church. I put my offering in the plate. This is an ongoing relationship that is continuously occupying his mind and saying that I want to learn more. I'm not satisfied with just learning a little bit. I want to keep moving forward. So I want to learn everything that there is. I wonder, do we have a goal like that? Or have we allowed our culture, the busyness of life, the demands of our well-intentioned present world, to rob us of the most important goal that any one of us could have? Because I have to admit, I allow those things to rob me of that goal. Maybe you do too. I get tired when I look back at the end of the week and say, I wish I had more time for this. To study. To pray. Did good things. Helped a lot of people. But are we willing to lay aside what is good for what is better? Lay aside what is better for what is best? And lay aside what we think is best for what God knows is best? Don't be occupied with what is good. Be occupied with what you know God said is best. Then he says this, to know the power of his resurrection. The word dunamis, the strength, the power, the ability. And there's really six aspects of this word here. It's an errant power, a power residing in something by virtue of its nature. And he's talking about the power of God. And there's an innate power that he exhumes out of him. And he says, I want to understand that. It's the same power that is used in performing miracles. The same power that produces excellence of the soul. The same power that is used for influence <clears throat> to those who are, are wealthy or, or rich because of their discipline. It's the same power that arises from uh, uh, resting in uh, uh, armies that are going forth and conquering uh, the, the enemies, the forces of evil, the hosts, and so forth. It is a powerful word here. And Paul says, I want to know the power <clears throat> of his resurrection. And when you think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no doubt he was dead. No doubt he was in the tomb. No doubt there are those who said his body probably what? Stinks. Because they knew that with the, the, the wounds that were inflicted upon him, that he was gone. <coughs> and then God does something so miraculous. He raised him from the dead. And if God is so powerful that He can raise His own Son from the, from the grave, I want to understand that power that resides in God. I want to understand that kind of power. And when you think of the power that God displayed in doing that, that is amazing. <clears throat> and then He says, and to know the fellowship of His sufferings. <coughs> The koinonia, the fellowship, the association, the community, the participation. And once again, the idea of the intimate relationship. The partnership. With what? His enduring sufferings. What Christ endured for us all. Do we ever think about that? First Sunday of the month when we participate with communion. We say it's a look back at what Jesus Christ has done. The blood that He's shed that we might have forgiveness of sins. Without it, we don't have forgiveness of sins. 
But do we really think about it? <coughs> Excuse me. Do we really think about it? Do we think about what Jesus Christ went through? Other than a communion time. And to really know that. Because I have to admit, I don't enough. And I said, I'm preaching to myself this morning, because these are the things that God has convicted me of. Maybe you can relate. But how often do we go about our days and we don't even think about it, because we're busy doing good stuff for people, for ourselves, for our families. And we didn't let the day pass without even concentrating on, on thinking about Christ's crucifixion on the cross. Paul says, I want to know that. That's my prayer. I want to know that. As I said early, look, look, look at the text here, verse 11. Actually, we're in the verse 10. The fellowship of his sufferings. And then he said, what, being conformed to his death. I want you to get a word picture in your mind just for a moment this morning. The picture is death. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, just for a moment. When we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when he did that saving work in our lives, God says, old things are passed away. And that's a phrase that we use a lot in our culture. The word, the word phrase, passed away. What does that mean? Somebody has died. They've passed away. And that's what he says about our old life in Christ. It is passed away. In other words, who we were before Christ entered our life, that life is gone. It's dead. It's buried. It's no more. Think of who Saul was and who Paul was. Two different people, right? Because God so worked in his life that it changed everything. He says being conformed to his death. That means the whole idea of death is that there's an old life that has been pushed away. We're turning our back on it. It's the old man. Now I'm walking in newness of life. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. And the, the picture of, of baptism, dying and, and, and signifying and proclaiming my life in Christ. I'm a new person. And then he says, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. What is Paul saying here? Um, he's saying, I'll probably die before this is accomplished. I will probably die before I really, truly understand everything that I'm asking God for. He says, assuming I'll reach this from the dead. In other words, Paul said, in this life, I'm not probably going to attain to it, but I'm going to certainly try. What are we searching for in this life? What is it that we're living for? What is it that consumes us? What's Paul's motivation here? We see this verses 12 through 14. Paul's motivation is this. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I think Paul has three motivations here. Number one, he says, I haven't reached it yet. Referring to the goal. He said, I haven't been, reached it yet. I have not attained. So why do we live as though we have sometimes? Why do we get up in the morning and go about our days as though if we've already learned what we're supposed to learn? Paul says, I haven't attained of it yet. 
and it's motivating me to keep going. I haven't got there yet. So let's not live as though we have. Number two, I have been taken hold of by Christ. That's his second motivation. He says, Christ has got a hold of me. I sat there in my office last night and I thought about that phrase over and over and the thought that kept coming to my mind is this. I think there are a lot of people in Christianity who have got a hold of Christ, but they haven't let Christ get a hold of them. Let me say that again. There are a lot of people who have taken hold of Christ. I mean, they're excited because they're going to heaven now. They've asked Jesus in their heart. They're going to heaven, and because of that, they're excited. You know, can nobody steal my salvation? I'm eternally secure in the fact that I am saved. They've got a hold of Jesus. They haven't let Jesus get a hold of them. Because I'm just going to grab on to what I think is important. I'm going to grab on to what I think will help me. I'm going to grab on to what you know, is convenient for the time. But truly letting Jesus Christ control my life? Well, that's another subject. I mean, that means God has to have control of everything, not just certain parts. Does Christ have a hold of everything that you have? Only you and God know the answer to that. But I think too often in my own life, I hold on to stuff. I hold on to the things that are convenient. Maybe you do too. Walk out in my garage. You see, I hold on to a lot of stuff. But I think I can honestly say you can take it all if you want it. Go for it. I think I said the other day in five years, five and a half, almost six years of living here, I think we've locked our door ten times. Our doors are never locked. Somebody needs it worse than my, they take it. But what about spiritually? You've got a hold of God, but does he have a hold of you? Are you letting him have full control? Remember the old hymn, I Surrender All? I can remember as a kid singing 27 stanzas of that, <laughs> thinking, when is this service going to end? Growing up in church. But I think we've changed the lyric just a little bit to I surrender some. I'm going to surrender even most. But all? God, are you serious? Are you, are you being real for real right now? God, I mean everything? My children? My job? My life? My desires? I, I, all, God, are you, are you being for real? All of it? I mean, you may, you may send me someplace I don't really want to go. And? The third motivation I see in this passage is, Paul says, I'm striving to live for what lies ahead. He says, I haven't reached it yet, referring to the goal. He says, I have been taken hold of Christ, therefore I have to keep going. Number three, I'm striving for what lies ahead. He says, I'm not living for the past, for what used to be before Christ. That's not what controls me. I'm striving for what lies ahead. I think that's a pretty good motivation. Because one day we will stand before God. Remember what it says in 1 John? There's that passage in 1 John that talks about, so that I may not be ashamed before Him at His coming. I've used this illustration in years past in Bible study. It's like the parents who tells their son, I'm going away for the weekend, but I don't want you to have anyone in the house. 
We'll be back Saturday night, but Friday night you're on your own. You can watch some movies, you can, you, can, you can do some reading, you can get on the computer, but I don't want you to have anyone in the house. Okay. Well, Friday during the day, someone calls and said, hey, you want to get together? No, nah, I really can't get together, you know. You know, my parents said I couldn't have anyone over. I'm not really supposed to go anywhere. I'm just kind of hanging out at the house. A couple hours passed. You know, that was Friday morning. Friday afternoon, he's bored. I mean, he's already watched three, four TV shows. He's been on the computer. He's played Xbox, but he's bored now. Friday at 7, somebody stops by and knocks on the door. Hey, you want to hang out? I really can't. My parents have said I can't go anywhere. I can't have anyone in. Oh, come on. When are they going to be home? They're going to be home tomorrow night. I better not. Friday night, he's by himself, you know. Saturday morning, he gets up, and by this time, he slept until noon, and he's bored. Pretty soon, somebody else knocks on the door. Hey, you want to hang out? Yeah, I guess, what's, what's going to hurt? I got, I got a few hours before mom and dad are going to be home. Yeah, come on in. And they're just kind of sitting back in the living room, just kind of just chilling. And the one kid picks up a little football and starts tossing it back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. And all of a sudden, knocks the lamp over and breaks it. And all of a sudden, there's what? Panic. Because mom and dad are going to be home in two hours. And what was the only rule he had? No one comes in the house. Question. Is he going to stand before his parents unguilty? You see, I think that's so much like the Christian life, that we may stand before him unashamed. I think sometimes we're going to get to the end of our life and say, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd given more. I wish I'd served more. I wish I would have given everything. And we're going to have those little bits of guilt because we didn't really have a good justification as to why we didn't. We just didn't want to. We're too busy serving self. We're too busy taking care of our own needs and, and maybe even helping others. But God says, I want you to do this, but we were satisfied doing this. I want to stand before him and hear those words. What are they? Well done, thou good. What is it? Faithful servant. His motivation, I haven't, I haven't reached it yet. I still have some things to work on. I've been taken hold of by Christ. I mean, Christ actually died on the cross for me. He, he gave his life for me. And I'm striving to live for what lies ahead, not what's in the past. And then he ends with this declaration in verses 15 and 16. Paul's declaration, verse 15 and 16, says this. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. There's two things, thank you. Paul's declaration includes two things. Number one, he says, everyone, verse 15, everyone who is mature should think this way. Everyone who is mature should think this way. So it wasn't just Paul being on or going on a rampage and saying, well, hey, this is what God's done for me, but you know, whatever happens in your life, hey, so be it. Between you and God. That's not what he's saying here. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. 
Think what way? To know Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. To be conformed to the image of Christ. This is how, how we ought to think. And if we're mature, He says, you'll think this way. And then He says, number two, everyone should live according to the truth they have attained. Verse 16. What is it that we have learned from growing up years in church? Or months in church for some of us. We've learned a lot, haven't we, over the years? I mean, if I were to start saying reference verses, some of you, no doubt, some of you would know this reference and this reference and this reference and this reference. And you can tell me all the ins and outs of every story that you've ever heard. But God's Word says don't stop with that. James tells us what? Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, lest we what? Deceive ourselves. You see, in actions speak louder than words. See, there's a lot of us that know a lot. We've grown up in church. We've heard all the stories. We've read through the Bible numerous times in our life. We've heard it. That's one of the things John MacArthur said. He said, the problem with most of us in Christianity, if you've been saved 20 years or more, is that when the pastor says, turn your Bible to such reference, you kind of glance at, oh, I've heard that one before, and we kind of mentally shut it off because we know that one. I think God wants more for us. I think sometimes we, we, we want, God wants a whole lot more for us than what we want for ourselves when it comes to spiritual matters. And we're satisfied with a little bit. Are we living according to the truth that we do know? Because we're responsible for that much. If we know to do right and don't do it according to the book of James it is what? Sin. And that's where I say we get back to every time I start to think about studying God's word he says do you want to know me? Do you want to know me? Do you want to know me? Do you want to know everything there is to know about me? Do you want to know me? Are you willing to spend the time to know me? Are you willing to communicate with me in prayer to know me? Do you want to know me? What goals are we living for? He starts off the, this text with, my goal. What goals are we living to achieve? Do we have goals? Are they the goals that God would want for us? And what motivates us? The fact that we haven't reached them yet. The fact that we've been taken hold of by Christ. The fact that we're striving for what lies ahead, not what lies behind us. And think of Paul's declaration. Everyone who is mature should think this way. And everyone should live according to the truth that they've attained. Is this your desire? Is this your goal? How do I know if I've achieved this? I'm glad you asked because 1 John answers that. 1 John 2 verse 3 says, This is how we are sure that we have come to know Him. By keeping His commands. In verse 5, But whoever keeps His word... Truly in Him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we're in Him. I want to go back just two verses before verse 10. Verse 8 and 9. When Paul says, I think about what lies ahead, not what lies behind, because I've forgotten those things. 
Actually, verse 7 says, But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. I mean, think about it. Pharisee among the Pharisees. Special permission from the chief priest to go and get those who are followers of Christ and bring them back. I've got clout. I've got position. Anything that was valuable in terms of the world's perspectives, he said, I count them loss. But he says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is that not cool? Think about that for a moment. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. We know Christ. Woo! Is that not exciting? I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm going to heaven for all eternity. Amen? That's surpassing value to have an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that not cool? We have something to live for. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 9 says, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. In other words, he says, not having a righteousness based off what I could do to have a good standing with Jesus. Even though I did this, 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 and this. It's not from doing any of that that gives me a standing before Christ. What's he say here? But one that is through faith in Christ. He said, this is not up to me. This is because of what he's done. And because of what he's done, I want to know him. I think we as a church, and I'm not talking about just Harvest Bible Fellowship. I'm I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ across America. We've become pretty apathetic and casual and satisfied with status quo. And trust me, I thank God that I'm in a church where nobody's fighting with each other. That's a blessing. At least I'm looking out here, I don't see anyone, I don't know of any, and I think I would because everyone talks. That's the nature of people. But I'm thankful that we don't have people who are just, man, I just can't stand to look at the face of that person. I thank God for that. I thank God that we have peace and unity within our fellowship. I thank God for his blessing because bills are paid and we have a good testimony. We're beginning to, people in our community beginning to see us and know us and, and we have a good relationship with them. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that people, generally speaking, love to help each other in our body. I, I'm thankful that there are those who, when people are sick, they don't mind making meals and passing them on to, to those who are struggling at the moment. But can I say, those are all works. Not about what we do, but who we are before Christ. Those are great things. But can we say, when you look at the churches in Revelation, there are a lot of Churches that were doing good things. But I wonder, have we left our first love? God's been challenging me this way. And here's the problem with vocalizing it. Now everybody knows what God's doing in the pastor's heart, and he better live up to the standard he's just preached here. Okay, that's for all of us, right? 
That's the word of God. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. We have the word of God, and it, 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 it imparts wisdom to us, and challenge and conviction and encouragement to not just be status quo, but to walk out and say, I want to, I want to see God do something. It's not the preacher's job to change a church. Do you realize that? It's not the deacon's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's our job to let the Holy Spirit mold us and make us, to convict us, to encourage us. And it's our job to humbly acknowledge when he's doing it and to obediently do what he asks us to do. What would be different if I would take that step of obedience? And truly want to get to know God. What might God do in my life? I'm not worried about what happens over here or over there or back there. I, I'm only worried about me. That's is the only one I can give an account for is this one. This is who will stand before God for my actions. This guy. <clears throat> Are we okay with okay? Are we satisfied with good enough? Or do we desire something more? I hope we desire more. And I look at Paul because as we've been studying the book of Acts, you see how a life surrendered fully to God is completely changed. And I'm not just talking for a little while. Because I know people who are on fire for a while and then what happened? They faded out. And eventually they start missing church. And after a few years, they don't go at all. Become apathetic, unconvinced of who God really is. He says, all of us who are mature should think this way. Maybe this morning, can I just challenge you, as God has challenged me, to want more? To have the goal of knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that we might be conformed to the image of his son. I hope that that's your goal. It's mine. You're welcome to hold me accountable to it. That's my goal. I want to be like Paul in this area. Maybe you do as well. Let's pray.